Um, I get to do a little bit of a shorter sermon today, which is fine. Uh, but we're going to continue on in our series on conflict. And so, I don't know, this is a little ironic that the Mother's Day sermon is on disagreement. But uh, that's a thing. <laughs> I, I thought of trying to work in some Mother's Day examples. It was a little cheesy. But um, here's what I mean by conflict. Okay, so in the past, in the last couple uh, weeks, we've been doing... Uh, oh gosh, I don't even know how to classify them. The kind of conflict that's like enemies and persecution and people are actually in those situations, a conflict with God, where it sometimes feels like somebody's out to get you. Like there's bad things happening from people that you understand, that don't understand, that are in, like almost inflicting things on you, okay? And so that's certainly a kind of conflict that, you know, we've dealt with. This is a little bit different. Disagreement is tricky because disagreement is like two well-meaning people who really like each other, who maybe even have the same goal, don't see eye to eye on how to accomplish, let's say, what's going on in our church, or let's say what's going on in relationships. Even worse yet, two deeply respected people who see differently from a certain point of view. Now, how do you move forward? So I don't know about you, but maybe you've, maybe you've uh, discovered this too, that when there's disagreement, especially in the church, or maybe in a family, uh, between well-respected individuals, like everything just stops. And we have to figure that out before we move forward. I don't know if you've, I've experienced this. It's really uncomfortable to be, like to disagree with people that you don't really have any beef with. You respect them, you love them, and you don't see eye to eye. And uh, you, it's hard to move past that stuff. Um, I, I, before, uh, I got to work at, a, at another church for, for a short period of time. And there was a, there was this kind of this motto that they had where it's like it, you know, it was, it was a tongue-in-cheek motto that we used to say at elders meetings where it was like, you know, peace at all costs. Like it was just make sure everything's peaceful, make sure everybody's getting along. And uh, it's a beautiful, actually a goal. Like I really learned lots from being part of that system for a while, but the problem is, is it's really slow because uh, you just never, it's hard to see eye to eye. And if you make agreement the thing that must be true before you move forward, wow, it's, that's a slow train. So there's a little bit of tension there. Uh, also, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed as a leader, everybody's like right. Like, do you know, when people disagree and you hear that point of view and it's like, oh, that's, that sounds really correct. And then you walk over here at the second coffee, you know, with that person and they say that thing and you're like, shoot, that's super correct. And uh, I find myself in the middle of these tensions all the time trying to lead things is everybody's just right all the time. Of course, maybe from different perspectives, and some people have different slants and different gift sets, and um, that's almost what makes it beautiful, right, is everybody sees something from a different angle, but everybody's so correct. And like, how do you move forward in that? It's really handy when somebody's right and somebody's wrong. But how often does that actually happen in real life? Where you, like, you're just full-on like, incorrect, and this person is full-on correct. I'm just... I can't remember the last time that's actually happened. Trying to accomplish something, someone's right, someone's wrong, almost never, almost never. Super handy when it is, because it's really clear, but it never happens. So it's almost as though living in the tension between those things is almost where the beauty is. Like all these different perspectives, all these different angles, and then somehow there's something that needs to be agreed upon that brings those things together to move forward in a way that represents the fullness of those tensions, if that makes sense. So how do we do this? What I've noticed, uh, I, I got to read Philippians a whole bunch in preparation for this because it's kind of the book on how to agree together. It's the book on like, uh, it's the book Paul wrote 
trying to bring everybody onto the same page for something. There's other books that Paul writes that are like, here's what to do for this particular moment when that happened. Like there's some other parts where he really gets into the nitty gritties of it. But Philippians is really interesting because he's just like, no, 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 this is, this, is, uh, this is the big picture, how to bring everybody into alignment kind of book. It's not so nitty gritty. He talks really like out there, almost futuristic in a sense. And what I've noticed in reading this is we, we've talked about suffering the last little uh, couple of Sundays. Suffering's come up a little bit. In Philippians, suffering is almost encouraged. It's like welcomed. It's celebrated. It's even pursued, you could use the word. Like Paul just really seems to see a ton of value in suffering. On the contrast, disagreement among especially the body of Christ highly discouraged. So you have, uh, you have persecution and suffering basically encouraged and disagreement, which seems much more like, you know, little and so what? You disagree. Like it seems way not as bad as suffering. And yet it's, it's almost spoken against. Like do everything you can to not do that. I'll read some verses out. Um, uh, let's read uh, first, let's read Philippians 3, 7 to 10. Should be on the screen. Yes. So this is talking about suffering. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. So that's really, seemingly really, really heavy. Uh, and yet this whole suffering piece is almost encouraged. You can hear it, almost being celebrated. In contrast, let's read Philippians 2, 1 to 4. should be up there as well. Yes, this is talking about agreement, in a sense. Listen to this. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, this is crazy, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. So uh, what, it seems to, what seems to be going on here is that humility and selflessness are way more important in the kingdom than agreeing. Like, the, like let's just read this again. Uh, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and one mind. And then how? Well, just do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and always consider everybody better than you. <laughs> like, that's how you achieve unity in the spirit is this, this incredible selflessness. And so somehow, uh, somehow humility and selflessness for the purposes of the kingdom and for the purposes of relationship and for the purposes of the church, humility and selflessness are just way more important than making sure that all the, you know, dots or whatever, you know, what tittle, jot, I don't know, whatever. Um, all those things are just perfect. So, uh, 
there was a tension that arose in my heart when that became true. Is it's like, okay, well, for sure, disagreement isn't like a bad thing, right? But people disagree all the time for really good reasons. That'd be weird if you could never disagree. So now I'm trying to been trying to figure this out. Uh, disagreement has tons of value. It, it, uh, it's really helpful. When you disagree, things get better. Um, it's just constructive criticism is great. Like, of course, disagreement's important. But humility and selflessness takes the cake. So what does this mean? Uh, okay, we have, we have this little uh, saying with, with me and my uh, youth pastor buddies because we've been trying to do this unity thing for like five or six years now of trying to get youth pastors on the same page. I know I always use, use this as my example in my sermons, but it's just where I learn all my lessons in terms of this kind of stuff. Uh, of trying to get youth pastors on the same page for like a common mission, okay? And I could use examples of us as a church too, but sometimes it's helpful to have, you know, outside examples, and this is my one. So uh, trying to get a whole bunch of people that have a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different giftings and tons of different points of view who all seem correct at any given coffee I have with them onto the same page to accomplish what God's doing right now? Wow, it's a small fortune in coffee, I'll tell you that much. But uh, what, is, what, has, what have been the, the appeals? Because to try and actually tomorrow execute the same thing together there has to be a value that transcends the plan itself because there's never one plan that will ever work. I I've learned that much. So uh, we have this little saying, and it's called relationship over initiative. Okay, relationship over initiative. Here's what I mean by initiative. Initiatives are so handy. Okay, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll make the little case for initiative. So initiative is the bad one, but I'm going to make the case for it, okay? Because this is why it's tempting to just run an initiative. Same in, in, in this church, too. Maybe same for the people that you're trying to disciple. Here's what initiative is. Is uh, I'm going to sell you on the thing we're doing, on the plan that we have, on the execution of the idea, on the expression. I'm going to sell you on basically a plan. And then to bring unity... I just do a really good job of selling everybody on that plan. Here's how it'll benefit you. Here's how it'll grow the church. Here's how, you know, it's going to grow your youth group. Here's how it's going to make you an even better youth path. You know, and you get caught into this. Here's why it's attractive. is because uh, I don't actually have to care about anybody to recruit them to an initiative. Way less coffee involved. I'll tell you that much. Because you just make the plan the hero. Right? And then you're not, your heart's not really out there, and everyone's just kind of looking at the idea, going, well, I wonder if this will work, and if, and if people do a good job enough of selling it, maybe it'll accomplish something. But here's what happens when I do that, because I've done it all the time. Um, that thing almost never works. That plan always has a hole in it, and everybody can always kind of poke a hole in it. And so when it fails, now the unity's gone, because the only thing we really agreed on was that like, this plan benefited us momentarily. There was no, there was nothing beyond the plan that we were, that we call people to. There wasn't a, there, to be honest, there wasn't a humility and selflessness required when the plan, when the, when the, when the whole pitch was just join the program. That doesn't cost you anything. And so when I read this scripture, I'm going, okay, if the, if the, if the plan for the kingdom 
is humility and selflessness. That's the metric. That's the, that's the fuel of the church is the gospel that's, you know, take up your cross and, and follow me. Like, okay, how the heck, what, what, I, I doubt that that brings unity so much. And so why we say relationship, why we say over and over again, relationship over initiative, relationship over initiative is because when relationship becomes the purpose, uh, you have no choice but to lay your life down for that person. When relationship becomes the point, you just, all of a sudden, you have to be humble and selfless or else it just doesn't work, like any friendship or any marriage or any real relationship. And I so am tempted to skip all the time that and just go straight to, hey, this is going to be really good for you. And instead going, um, all right, it's going to have to look like something, but I want to, like, I want your heart and I want to walk with you and I want whatever we do to outlast just the plan that we decided to all do together. So there's this, um, I've been thinking I, in some of my meetings with, with these guys, it's like, um, uh, oh, maybe we could do it this way or maybe we could do it that way and you know, maybe we could try this. And they're all really, really great things. And at the end of the day, what I always end up thinking in my head is like, I kind of don't care if we agree. Like that's not really a high priority for me. Here's, what I, here's what's a really high priority for me for myself too, is um, are we, is the plan like repentance of your own uh, self-made effort? Like I want, I want my hope to be in who Jesus is and I want my hope to be in um, denying myself so that the Holy Spirit is king. Like that's the fuel of anything we do. And I'm really, I'll be honest, sometimes I just doubt that relationship is worth it. And I doubt that all those kingdom metrics of humility and selflessness are really going to accomplish anything. And so instead, I walk around trying to make the thing sound more and more sexy to join, all the while just skipping people's hearts, just skipping a need to repent to join. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if you only ever join something when it makes sense to you and it benefits you, it's like, okay, well, there's probably times and places for those things. That's not the end of the world. But is there anything that we do that costs us, like, something to join a thing that would require repentance? Well, that's an exciting thing, because the thing that you just joined that required the re your own repentance is like, well, that's interesting, because whatever that thing is, Jesus is going to be king there, and the Holy Spirit's going to be king there, not you. So that's a powerful thing, and I almost don't even care what it is anymore, because you repented to join it. So that's like relationship over initiative. Uh, I don't think, I don't, this church isn't an initiative. I don't think churches ever should be an initiative. It's not uh, an attempt to get us all to agree on something. That's not the bullseye. It's nice when we do, so handy, you know, when we all agree, like, oh, this service time will work. You know, we've spent so much, if I have to talk about... The amount of hours we've spent talking about service time at a staff meeting, I don't care to count. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, uh, this church isn't an initiative trying to get everybody to agree. It's handy when we do. It's a nice pursuit. But I care about something deeper more, going, are we giving our family an opportunity to lay their lives down for each other? Because I think that's the only thing that actually makes us different than like a business or a nonprofit, like, 
if we just are all, if we just sell you all on the latest whatever, okay, and that's a good thing, and, and, and there's lots of that. Maybe that's how you join, is like, oh, I really loved what they're doing. What an amazing reason to join a thing. Okay, I'm not belittling that, but like, at the end of the day, I don't think we're gonna see disciples who make disciples who make disciples and see God's kingdom come and this campus change and all these things, unless uh, Jesus is enthroned in our hearts. So this church isn't an initiative, it's a family. And it's this crazy place where we get to be in something because of who we're with, not just because what we're doing. The what we're doing is handy and we talk about it a ton because it's easy to talk about and there's always an announcement time and there's always things to go do and now there's another DG Leaders workshop and you know, put that in your calendar and there's lots of what's, okay? There's lots of what's that we're trying to, but I'm always really scared inside. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm always really freaked out that, that uh, churches think that leaders are trying to recruit them to a plan. When really it's all just, a, I, maybe the term excuse is too strong of a word, but in my mind it's like it's all an excuse to go like, how's your heart? Like, what are you dreaming about? What, what, what's, what's going on in your relational sphere? Who's on your heart? Who do you long to see be here? Uh, how can we help? It's, they're all who questions. So uh, sometimes something we've been saying in our campus staff meetings a lot is like who versus what, okay? Who versus what? I love what's. Initiatives are what's to me. I love what's um, because they make sense and sometimes they're really attractive and they, and they, uh, they like present a solution that makes lots of sense in my head. And maybe those, sometimes they pay really well and sometimes they elevate my status. And sometimes they make me look amazing, like those what? I, have a, I just have this theory that's super tension filled in my heart because I don't know how to express it without sounding like a weirdo. But I, I care more about who I do things with than what I do. I, I really believe that. Oh, that's for sure true in my heart. And I'm just like barely sold on it currently. If we, I'll be super honest with you, just barely. And there'll be some days where I go by, I was like, oh man, if only we could think of a better solution that wouldn't cost anybody anything, then the thing would grow and there would be some empty seats and like, we gotta make sure that we know exactly what time is best for this demographic because they give more and like, can you, and I just, you go down that train of thought going, okay, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we doing again? <laughs> like, what are we doing? This is a who question, not a what question. And we long to serve, we, like the church should serve people with really great what's, but I think we idolize them. So that's my first big thing. It's like family just has to take the cake. If the plan's multiplication, if the plan's the church, if the plan's the Holy Spirit to grow the thing, I'm pretty sure we have to pursue family because that's what costs us something. There's another thing. So the first thing's family. The second kind of big solution that I find, there's only, I only have two. The second kind of big solution that I find in Paul's writings here, is the solution to disagreement is having really big problems. Like really big, you can't accomplish it, don't even try, like heart cries that just far surpass what you would be able to pull off yourself. And uh, I'll, list a few to you. I'll list a few to you. Like, and they don't just have, when I, whenever I say that, I think people think that I mean like, let's see Vancouver saved. I guess I kind of do mean that. But that's, uh, 
sometimes being intimate with Jesus feels like a bigger miracle than like believing for that sometimes. Like, I don't care what your big problem is. Most days, my funnest days, are when I feel like, ah, God's gonna change my entire world. I like those problems. Some days, my biggest problem is like, I don't feel close to you. Some days, my biggest problem is, uh, uh, I, I don't have a restored relationship and I have no idea how to mend it. Like, that can feel like a massive mountain. Like a huge problem. Um, if I was to sum up all those problems, I think that uh, what Paul talks about, and I'm going to read it here in a second, is there is a tenacity in his writings. And, like his solution for disagreement is to be tenacious about everything that's eternal. That's the best way that I can sum it up. Well, monitor. Uh, the best way I can sum it up is he's relentless in his pursuit of everything that makes it beyond this world. Uh, of who Jesus is, relationships, uh, all that kind of stuff. I'll just read it. This is uh, in chapter 3 now, and we're kind of bouncing all over Philippians, but it's all in there. Philippians 3, 12 to 16. Um, not that I have already... Okay, so this is right after he's talking about... Um, uh, in, in 3 where he's talking about, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. This is right after that. Not that I have already obtained all this, some kind of like, you know, I'm super selfless, whatever. He's like, he's like, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the price for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, and this is, listen, listen, listen to how he just brushes aside disagreement in this particular passage. It's so funny to me. All of us then, who are mature, should take a view of such things to stretch on towards the prize. If you're mature, you should be passionate about stretching on towards the prize of knowing Christ and participating in his sufferings and restoring relationship. If you're mature, you should do that. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. How passive is that, hey? Isn't that hilarious? I think it's so funny. It's like, oh, by the way, if you disagree on something, like on your way towards that prize, don't worry, it'll become clear. How unhelpful is that? Like, I want to go, no, but what do we do if people have this complaint? <laughs> no, 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 God will make that clear to you. Ah, it's so funny. Uh, okay, so I just have three, little, three points to end that I'll, that I'll go through super quickly. Uh, why? Uh, you can put that slide up uh, for me. Why, uh, why does God, oh, it should say calling us. Oops. Uh, why does God calling us, why does God, yeah, why does God calling us to have our eye, why? What? What did I write? Why does God call us? Oh, it's correct the whole time. Correct the whole time. Uh, that must have been frustrating for everybody. Why does God calling us to have all the things? <clears throat> Focus. Okay. Uh, why that? Um, first thing. Uh, bigger problems help us place our faith in the right things. Um, okay, I'll, tell, I'll use my... I'll use the youth pastor example one more time. Is... Uh, 
So we had this meeting like a few weeks ago, right, where we called the leaders together of the people who are trying to bring unity in a given suburb. So there's like a dozen of us in the room, one or two people per suburb. And, um, and at the end of the, in the meeting, I'm just like, so we're trying to, there's all these alphas going on in schools and these chapels, and, it, and it's really great. But like none of it's really like working <laughs> in a sense. Like it doesn't, the numbers aren't awesome. Turns out students aren't really the best at running alphas in high schools. <laughs> like it's just, uh, and so everybody's just really like weary. And here's what, here's what I want to do in that meeting is I want to pitch some new initiative huh, that's even better than the last initiative that solves the problems of the first initiative <laughs> that like is going to do an even better job of getting everybody on the same page so that we, you know, and I have fun little sentences I say like every teenager in the lower mainland is one invite away from a gospel presentation, right? Like I have a little suit when I say that. And I want to get up there and like pitch that as the new plan. And instead, I just said, okay guys, here's the problem again. The problem is, we almost never see students come to know Jesus out of high school. The ones that, we, that do almost never make it. And the students that we do have that like survive the transition from high school to university usually came from the good homes anyways. And then thirdly, like when students do come to know Jesus, very rarely are our students part, like participate in that. It was mostly just us working hard, which is great, keep doing that, but they don't get to participate in it at all because we mostly just plan big things and get them to put their hands up at the end of the service or whatever. So these are the problems. And then I just kind of stopped talking at the end of, these are the problems we're trying to address and my flesh wants to go more chapels and alphas and I don't know, whatever I can think of. And at the end of the day, we just kind of sat there, it seemed, and just talked about it. And then some of the guys just started choking up. And one of the guys from Langley, he's got like a big youth group, just goes, I don't even, I don't even know if I care. And he's like choked up. Another guy tells a story from the North Shore who says, um, I get my, uh, I got the kid that's running the Alpha in the local high school to share on the Sunday. And then one of the old guys from the church came up to the youth pastor afterwards because he loved the story and hands the youth pastor an envelope, $2,000 worth of 20s, and says, hand these out to your students to f do follow-up lunches and coffees with all the people from the alphas in the high schools. And then Brendan, like, his lip quivers. His lip starts to quiver and goes, none of my students have taken me up on this. And then everyone's just like, wow, the problems are so huge. <laughs> like overwhelmingly massive and and then this like little this beautiful holy spirit moment happens where everyone just goes oh my god like you're the solution somehow and i don't even understand how and i've never been more desperate ever and never felt closer to jesus at the same time i've never been less impressed with my own ideas and more reliant on him because the problems are just too big. And I'm getting so, I get so mad all the time. Why do you keep giving me burdens for things that seem impossible? And then I'm like, oh, because I need you. And because the point was to be with you. And so you know what our big solution was for like, from our meeting is like, well, it looks like we'll just have to plan a prayer night. So we're planning a prayer. You can all come if you want. It's like Glad Tidings on June 2nd, Saturday night, and there's no agenda really. We're just going to call as many youth ministries together as we can, not just youth ministries, anyone who wants to pray going, I don't know what to do anymore. 
I just don't know what to do. Now, it's been handy to have all the cool initiatives. Don't get me wrong. It's gotten everybody in the same room. It's not the enemy. But it's not the hope either. So, second thing. Humility is more important than agreement in the kingdom. Uh, and this is so hard to communicate to people. I'm not good at, I'm not good at doing this either. I don't know if I believe that. Uh, sometimes. I don't know if I believe that. And at the end of the day, uh, when I find myself having conversations with anybody, trying to accomplish something together from different points of view who don't agree and everybody's right in those moments, at the end of the day, I have to remind myself, I'm like, okay, um, I want your heart, not your buy-in. Because that's what's best for you. I don't want your buy-in. I, I hate the word buy-in. <laughs> that term. What does that even mean? It means I convinced you to do something that didn't cost you anything. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I hear when I hear the word buy-in. It's probably an inaccurate term. But that's what I hear when, when people use it that way in ministry all the time. Who's bought in? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, no, a better question to ask is like, whose heart is like desperate and repentant? That's the, that's the metric. Not because it's somehow meaner, but it means that they probably have a better direct line to the Holy Spirit because they're repentant and desperate and need him. And so humility, I just love that. I love that thing. Because every time it seems like humility is present in a place, it seems like God's able to move. And it makes sense to me because where, if a room was brought together by humility, like I think this one is, I think God can move because he's king. Not because humility is some kind of magic pixie dust. It's no, he's, he's king again. That's why I love church. Third thing, last thing, and this is my favorite. Um, it reminds us that we've already attained everything. Right? Yeah. Like, how much is there really to disagree on? Uh, the last sentence, um, Cynthia, can you put back up Philippians 3, 12 to 16 again? Um, the, last, the last verse is, is verse 16. I'll read verse 15 and, and 16 again. It says this. Um, is it up there? Yeah. Uh, All of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Only let us strive towards what is already true. Only let us dream about things that have already come to pass by what Jesus has done. Only let us ever argue about things that champion that, that remind us of that being true. And so I think about this third point, just having big problems and being part of spiritual family. Like, it just reminds me of what's already true. And we can get so caught up with blinders on, I think, for good reasons often, trying to all agree to get on the same page. Those are nice things to do. But what I love about stretching on towards the prize is going, oh yeah, remind me, remind me of like, this, all this talk today about being a son or daughter is just incredible. Going, remind me of who I am again. And, and uh, remind me of, of how you've already paid the cost and paid the price and laid down your life for me and been the ultimate example of someone that I can follow. And then after that point, how much is there really to disagree on? You know, it's, it's, it all really fades, in my opinion, in the face of what's already accomplished through Jesus' work on the cross. So my question for you today, in closing, is like, what's your, like, what's your prize? these days? You know, the correct answer is I stretch on towards the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. It's like, you know, laying down your life and, you know, the prize is uh, 
knowing him and being close to him and salvation. And like, those are all the Bible school answers, you know, the prize. But how is it expressing itself these days? What's, what's the prize that's, what are you tenacious in your heart about? Perhaps God will remind you of some big problem that only he can solve. And maybe we'll put all the other little disagreements into perspective that I get hung up on a lot. So what's your prize? First Timothy 6, 12, it won't be up there, but, but it just works really well to wrap us up. Is First Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And so that, I think that's our solution to disagreement. And uh, let's all be on the same page about taking hold of what's eternal. Both be it, being at our own hearts that need to be right before Jesus and helping others that don't know him know that. Like, let's take hold of that. Let's take hold of those eternal things. And as Paul says, if on some point we think differently, apparently God will make that clear to us. And that takes trust because <laughs> I want to put my hope in making sure we're all agreeing all the time. Ben, you guys can come up and get ready. And as they do, I just want to uh, pray for us in this regard. Uh, <clears throat> Father, I, I thank you that you are the one who is leading and guiding our family. I thank you that all you call us to do is trust you. And so we want to be about the Father's business. We want to be stretching on towards what is eternal. We want to be grabbing hold of the things that truly matter. I pray that as we do, that you would guide us in the practical things. I do ask that you would give us solutions. I do ask that you unite people around some really fun initiatives. I really do. But at the end of the day, Father, would all of those things be excuses to remind us of what you've already accomplished, of what's already true, of what we already get to experience and walk in and trust you because of. And yeah, Lord, we're just so grateful. And so uh, for all those in this room who are perhaps in the middle of some disagreement or Something, uh, some irreconcilable difference and not knowing how to get through that. Father, would you give us the gift of a heavenly mindset, of a picture of what it is to lay our lives down, of considering others better than ourselves. God, would the solutions to disagreement not just be like circumstantially things working out, but would the solution to disagreement be the gospel of repentance and honoring others and taking up our cross and that's a story worth telling. That's a story worth preaching. That's a community worth being a part of. So Father, as we move forward as a church and dream about big things, would you lead us and would you guide us? And thank you for your, your just unbelievable humility to use us because you love us. In Jesus' name.